answer. Uh oh. <laughs> oh, that was just me pressing record. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, that yeah. Was yeah, it does that. I mean, Skype, I was using it at the beginning. And I know everybody uses Zoom or StreamYard now, but I don't like this flicking between faces. It's nice that we're both there at the same time. Oh, sure. know, people watching and um and plus my living room is so messy that wide scope just really means i've got to clean up more you know before <laughs> we start talking so i can see the the creepy acres gang there in the background wow oh yeah there yeah there's there's lots of them back there they go on wow. for a while so wow look yeah. at that <laughs> yeah they look go all them. the way all the way over to the other side there's probably I yeah think, i think in total there's probably 50 puppets or so and do you use them all at every conference, or is, is there a set theme? Well, I suppose you don't use Dracula at the Bigfoot conferences, but yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. basically we just, you know, we take um, probably about uh, three of the big ones, maybe four of the big ones, and then yeah. maybe four or five of the smaller ones with us. But Fantastic. Uh, yeah, and, and mostly what we do there is we, um, you know, we just show them off. We don't, we don't really do any live shows. We do mostly just stuff on uh, videos online and stuff. Okay, uh, sort of, uh, sort of, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, ambush clips. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. With yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll do that kind yeah. of stuff, and then uh, when we are at shows, then we do. I'll usually take uh, the the Bigfoot out, and because he's kind of like my main character, I'll take mm. him out and walk him through the crowd, and and like you know, just like you said, ambush, just ambush people. Like, hey, you having a good time? It's yeah, the best where? way. <laughs> the, yeah. And you know, if you're not having a good time. When you get um, ambushed for that chirpy Bigfoot, I'm thinking of the the lovely sort of pink faced brown one behind you there. It's just oh, um, yeah. I you know I I recognised because we've been talking a little bit sort of back and forth over the years anyway, but I recognised the, the the creations and the creepy acres posts with the with the wonderful sort of cryptid posts on this day in that year with the the great art that's associated with it. And I recognized the name, but I never sort of slotted them together for yeah. some reason. Um, and when I thought, oh, I, I want to interview the Creepy Acres guy, I, I want to talk to Sean. And I started looking sort of online. I was like, oh, oh, Sean's one of my friends. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the way it happens um, all oh, yeah. the time. But what I would want to know, and I'm sure you've told this to other people before, but maybe my audience doesn't uh, it is how you know obviously clearly you're into bigfoot you're into the paranormal encrypteds but how did that turn into puppeteering and attending conferences and you know making everybody happy oh yeah no problem uh so basically um i always had a love for uh you know this paranormal like bigfoot and and all that sort of stuff uh cryptids especially i love the monster end of it and then uh somewhere along the way uh, because my day job is uh, creating characters for uh, educational company mm -hmm. um, so uh, what ended up happening was I was creating characters for that and one day somebody said hey you know this thing that I had drawn which is kind of this furry monster thing they said it reminded them of one of the Muppets <sighs> and and then I got this idea it's like I can make a puppet yeah all right so then I went and I made a puppet of that character <sighs> and then I, I I really liked it. <laughs> it was like a lot of fun. So then I, uh, I started making a bunch of them and it became a creative outlet outside of work, outside of my day job where I would do, you know, children's art. And, and it was a way to like flex that creative muscle without 
doing more drawing because honestly, I was just burned out from drawing all day. Mm. And so then I started doing uh, puppets. And then at some point, it like clicked in my head where I was like, what? I should do one of Bigfoot because I, I like I love Bigfoot. Mm. And so I made one of I made one of Bigfoot. And then the next thing I was like, I should make one of Leonard Nimoy because I love the TV show and search show. So I love that show. So, yeah. So so I ended up making a Leonard Nimoy puppet, not Spock, Leonard Nimoy, oh. you know, specifically. And he's even got the red turtleneck and everything. And, uh, <laughs> just just like the show. Oh, he um, rocked the turtleneck. He uh, yeah, he popularized oh, yeah. that, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Well, the 70s was it was huge for that, you know. So mm. um, and then all of a sudden one day. It, it just kind of clicked. It was like, you know, I just kind of started doing a couple of funny videos here and there with them. And then it was like, we should do a show with these because I had so many puppets. And I had friends that do theater stuff and they do voiceover stuff. And and so I just started pulling friends together who worked in different areas. And some of them have no background in this stuff at all. You know, it's like, and brought them in and, and you know, okay. it's just an excuse to hang out and we just have fun making videos. It sounds well. It looks like great fun, actually, and um, I'm sure it is great fun. But it, to me, it's um, it's a it brings up a wider question about Bigfoot sure. genre. So, in an interview earlier, I was asking, uh, the interview, do you think that Bigfoot has become has gained too much of a cult status, fan like right. status, to be a scientific endeavor? And actually, what I think I concluded about it is that actually. The fun that goes along with it, having these conferences, encourages further research because people want to be involved and it's it's communal as a community of sure. quite nice people most of the time, actually, sort of, yeah. you know, nice, friendly people that draw you in. And perhaps perhaps it's not, you know, detrimental to the scientific aspect. Maybe it's um, a stimulant. Sure. And fun like this I think it's on the that's on the the far end of that scale, you know. It's it's um, it's hyper caricature. I just I you know I really love it. I I kind of look at what we do it as. I mean, there's the two ends of it, which is you have the people who are already into Bigfoot and the research, and and it's sort of it's fun for them to kind of see Bigfoot doing weird stuff, you know, mm -hmm. like you know making you know like carving a pumpkin or whatever, you know, that, mm -hmm. all that all the goofy stuff. But then I also kind of think of it as that guy who thinks it's all kind of silly nonsense and like doesn't really want to pay attention to it. It's, it gives him an, an excuse to kind of watch it and then be like, well, well, what if, like, well, what do you guys think about, you know, like it kind of gives him an excuse to, to sort of maybe ask the questions, like the more, you know, like, what about this? What about that? You know, as opposed to, I mean, like, like guys, you know, like a, a guy like my dad who he grew up, on a farm, you know, very, you know, straightforward mm. raising cows, you know, all that mm. kind of stuff. He doesn't have time for this nonsense, you know, <laughs> you know, whatever, but, you know, but if you get him in the right, you know, if you get someone like that in the right, you know, mind space, it gives them the opportunity to kind of ask these questions that mm. otherwise they would think are silly, you know, and it was, yeah. And it was, you know, and I, I kind of hope we're doing that, but I, I don't know. I mean, that's not for me to decide. <laughs> So. Well, no, I, I definitely think if you are making, um, I suppose when you're not making a mockery of yourself, but if you make fun of yourself, of course, you open up the floor 
for other people not to feel foolish and then ask those questions. So I totally agree with that. Sure. I think it's a great way forward, but I also just like that there's a fun aspect to it, you know. Now, apart from that, a lot of people might not know, apart from the, the fun uh, uh, ambush interviews and all the, the great clips, with the puppets you you also you're an artist you also do i i call it on this day cryptid sort of uh, news on this day in 1965 yeah. with an amazing illustration of the creature so i recently saw your um your one of beep you know, oh. one of beep's abyssal fish and i was just like wow this is amazing the colors were amazing or the the bat beast of kent one of oh, my nice. favorites amazing and i mean where are you getting this from are you obviously you're using the the um description of the creature but are you basing it on other drawings you've seen elsewhere because they don't seem to look like the other drawings i've seen of these creatures a lot of times stylistically so, uh, oh sure uh well so uh well uh, <laughs> i would say um so i draw all of them myself and uh, a lot of that comes from i go back to the original descriptions and I, I try not to get caught up in uh, what other people have done, because mm. if when I go back to the original descriptions, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sort of basing it off. Well, that's what they did. But what am I going to do? Mm. And 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 some of it also comes from because uh, I want them to look biologically plausible, mm. you know, so it's like so when they describe like Mothman as being a big bird, you know, or like because originally it was known as the big bird. Mm. then i gave so then i give it more bird-like legs even though it you know in the description later descriptions they say it had legs like a man you know stuff like that or uh, and then that also then kind of ties into when i did um the beast of kent then i i kind of tied it into to the mothman so i kind of gave it those more bird-like legs even though there's really no description of its legs that i can find no there isn't a great description i mean they, they say that it shuffles which is i suppose yeah would imply short legs in a way, perhaps, but I don't I know. No <laughs> it's hard to say. It's one of those really, really odd sightings. That actually brings up a, a very interesting question. As an artist, as somebody that can uh, look for those smaller details, who can essentially create something from a, a, a verbal description, what you notice there with the Mothman, its physiological appearance changing over time in descriptions. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that with other creatures like Bigfoot and, and, and uh, Dogman? Uh, well, Chubacabra, 100%. Mm -hmm. Chub I mean, the original descriptions of Chubacabra uh, very much describe what what many would like many would consider like an alien gray, except mm -hmm. it, I mean, it even I believe it even had gray skin. And it has big red eyes, and it has what looks like sort of uh, spikes or quills sticking out of its mm. back. And then it has kind of backwards legs. Uh, and it just sounds very alien. And then by the time we get to, you know, the mid-2000s, like 2010 or so, all of a sudden now we have, you know, a, a, what looks like a dog. I mean, it just looks like, yeah. a, you know, look, it yeah, looks like yeah, a dog yeah, with yeah. blue eyes. Uh, you know, and so then, so that and I don't know if there really is a, I don't know if there is a connection between those two things or if they are simply, um, you know, we're just, you know, giving the name to this other animal that, you know, and yeah, just I, labeling it that. I wondered if that was something to do with now, I recently did a book looking at 
perihumanoids around the world. And what I actually often found is a lot of cultures have words they use for one word they use for lots of things. So in the Yeti, for instance, you've got this description that can be applied to this name that can be applied to bears, to other large animals. And it's the same actually all around the world and in the Americas, it's the same too. And I wondered if it's that that the locals in those places, perhaps you know, that the in Mexico especially, are seeing various un unknown things and labeling them chupacabra. That's a chupacabra. Um, yeah. And that would explain that the variation in description, they are they're all describing different things, but that's the name they've got for something sure. unusual. Yeah, I, you, you know, I could see that being the case. I mean, where we call anything, you know, a, a, anything that comes out of a flying saucer or, or a UFO, we call an alien. So mm. then alien becomes like a like a bucket term or like Bigfoot. Bigfoot's become sort of a catch all for anything oh, yeah. with a lot of hair, you know, like it just mm. becomes you know the yeti you know oh is that a kind of bigfoot well i don't i don't know it feels like it's its own thing <laughs> but it's like mm. we just started throwing you know you know orang pendex and and uh you know we have the you know the skunk ape and like all these things just kind of fall into this category so yeah i could see that being that maybe chubacabra just becomes a catch-all for unknown you know some unknown an you know small animal absolutely absolutely it would be really interesting to me actually to to present you with you know a hundred years of Nessie sightings uh with all their descriptions and see throughout the, the decades how your drawings differed from oh, yeah. those descriptions all the way along. I'm sure there would be a great a great variation in the way that people describe things. Although some people would say that's also to do with the commonality of certain uh animals in the mental library of, of people of those times. So, you know, for example, people in the 1930s seeing a humped creature with a long neck, well, they would plunge into their mental library and say that was like a camel, uh -huh. meaning it had humps and a long neck, a strange horse-like head, instead of it was a giant reptilian beast with a horse-like head and two big humps, 40 foot long swimming in the water. And, you know, therefore you get some of these camel-like drawings, in fact, you know, wandering into the lock at that time. Or I think this one that even looks like a slug, a spicer. Uh -huh. 1950s road crossing and you know it's just it's interesting to me to to hear that from an artist's perspective because i'm always dealing with sightings and yet within those sightings it's very clear when somebody doesn't have the words to describe what they've seen and they mm -hmm. everything they have to to to, to put across to you is ill-fitting you know it's mm -hmm. it's almost an amalgam of, of all these different things now how does that affect the work that you do do you do you take fresh sightings or are you only ever working on historical records of these animals when you when you draw them well a lot of times i try to go to the original source and um so we do because then as you know like throughout time they sort of they kind of change like so for mm -hmm. example the yeti like the original descriptions of the yeti it's got red hair and and but now in pop culture, the Yeti is white. Mm. It's always yeah. white, you know, it, it, you know, it's always, and I'm guessing a lot of that comes from the um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Christmas special where uh, the okay. is white and he's got uh -huh. a blue face. And now that's the way people draw Yeti, <laughs> you know, cause that it's, makes sense. Effect, yeah. And I don't yeah. know if that's where that came from, but that certainly seems to be around the time. I've never but heard that, of a single white Yeti sighting in all of my research, no. not one. 
but when but whenever someone draws a yeti or you know paints a yeti they're all white <laughs> so i don't know why um so so it, when it comes to that you know when it comes to like doing some of these sighting or doing some of these drawings i know that sometimes what i'm drawing is wrong and it's purposefully wrong because it i want it to be different and i mean uh-huh. and, and not purposely wrong in the sense that it's like I'm going against what they said. I'm going against what became the norm after. Uh-huh. For for the example, the um, uh, 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 what's the 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 crazy critter of Bald Mountain? It was one of the one of the more recent ones. Okay. And it describes a horse-like creature. It's only described as being the size of a horse. Uh-huh. It has tentacles instead of legs, and it has a oh. football-shaped head. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And it has mm. big bug eyes. And so every other representation I've seen of that, it turns the head like football. So it's like mm. a horse head pointed at you. But because it describes it having bug eyes, I turned it sideways. It's, it's, so it's got big bug eyes on each side of the uh, on that head. And I know that, that that is not traditionally how people have drawn it. But nowhere does it say that's not correct. <laughs> you know, it's like, no. No one verified that's what it's supposed to look like. They no. just kind of went with it. So, well, yeah. it's hard. It's really hard. That I think we need more of that actually. And I think as a sort of a field investigator, when I get a description, it would be good to have somebody that's used to drawing from descriptions to just on site. I had one recently uh, in Scotland, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't 2019 it happened, but it was recently given to me. And this lady staying in the. Uh, a holiday cabin of their lodge okay. uh, with her family had basically seen what she described as like a huge chimp face and shoulders staring at her in the kitchen window. The windows kind of intersect there and they're about that window. You'd have to be sort of to be head and shoulders and you'd have to be at least eight feet tall, you know, oh <clears throat> and she even described the leathery hands sort of tapping on the window, two fingers like this. Oh. And yet, but all the descriptions she gave me, I couldn't really reconcile what she was describing as chimp-like in appearance. You know, the descriptive elements of it. I thought, well, is that just the closest thing that she can find in her mind to it? Because these little features she's describing, they don't seem like chimp-like features at all. But it's hairy. It's sort of monkeyish, I suppose. And that's what she's got. Um, whereas, you know, to have somebody, an expert, hint, hint, and mention no names on site yeah it would have been great you know, been really great how about um theories do you ever get into like series within the genre and what certain cryptids could be because you're there you're trying to to put this thing together sure. what what kind of opinions do you have so for, for bigfoot for instance what kind of theory would you have about its you know its genus its identity from all of the descriptions and drawings you've had to put into action you know, and and Bigfoot is a like something like that. It's it's hard because you know there's this long, rich history of sightings that, in theory, predate you know Western civilization showing up. You know, so in theory, it's been part of the native culture, and so then now you're kind of stuck with well, is this a memory mm-hmm. of like Gigantopithecus, like that they did actually at one point live. You know, you know, there with them, or 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 had crossed paths with them, and it's just kind of remained part, like 
and it's a it's a story-based culture so they keep passing it on passing it on passing it on and then eventually this animal that they no longer see is now kind of been uh deified to almost like legend like a legend mm -hmm. status among among them i don't i honestly don't know because if this thing is still living out there this long i mean <laughs> i mean whatever it, whatever it is i mean it has to be smart enough to avoid detection you know it's like it, it has to be smart enough to know that people are looking for it so then at that point are you dealing with something I mean, is it subterranean? I mean, does it live in caves? I mean, it has to be, it has to be able to not be spotted because mm. there's so many, you know, so many people flying around with, with drones and cameras and, you know, and helicopters and like out, you know, out in the wilds looking for this stuff and still not finding it. Mm. Um, so that's where like, and I, and I know this is now, this is where the, the, um, oh, the uh, interdimensional Bigfoot mm. has now sort of come up because yeah. they had to come up with a reason why it's not being found. So, um, but I honestly, I have, I don't know. I mean, most of the stuff, most of the stuff is easy to, you can imagine, uh, for example, like one of the, what, one of my favorite things to bring up is, uh, I'm a firm believer that a lot of dogman sightings are actually just kangaroos. Hear me out. No, I, I think, no, I'm, I'm with yeah. you on that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm not it's saying all, yeah, no. I'm not, and, and I'm not saying all, but. I'm just saying that because in the like here in the United States, there are certain states where you do not need a license to have a kangaroo, mm -hmm. and uh, or a permit to have one, you know, as a pet. And so I and back in the six, I believe this is the 60s, and I I think the I think the UK went through the same thing where they passed a law for exotic pets that you had to have certain. 1976. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and so a lot of people I think just abandon those animals and all of a sudden in the 70s you, you know like you start having these bizarre sightings you know mm. that start you know ramping up and then uh i don't know and like and my my guess is if you're living in wisconsin and you're you know you're not expecting to see a kangaroo you know oh, it's yeah. like in, and it's the middle of the night and you see something on the side of the road and all of a sudden it stands up and turns around and looks at mm. you you know, it's like I, you know, and it's and if it's facing right at you, I could see where you know, you know, in a in a panic, you may that looks like a dog man. Oh, or, I think definitely in some cases for sure. If you see a large male kangaroo, they're ripped. They're, oh, they're huge. huge. They're armed, and yeah, and they're they they're, tear they're built like arms off. You know, they're really yeah. strong. Hmm. Oh yeah, and 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 the weird thing is, they do like they're from the waist up their upper body looks like a person, you know, mm. like they're, you know, the arms are at the sides. Yeah. The, pectoral yeah. muscles. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But, I, I can definitely, definitely see that as a possibility for many, many sightings. If you see one of those things in the dark, sort of menacing at you, you, you definitely would be taken aback by that. That's for sure. Um, some of the sightings I've had, though, it just, it's kind of hard to, really fitted into that category but i oh, think absolutely. again you know monster imposters has to be the first go-to in any situation yeah. because that's the most plausible explanation other than there being a monster of some kind right. well, you know? well well because then you know the granted it doesn't fit for all of them and it doesn't fit for all sightings some of them are just too bizarre like it, they yeah. just don't it's not going to work but once you you know, once you get rid of some of these odd sightings, and again, 
uh, I know Wisconsin and even where I live in Minnesota, we have had, um, uh, we have had kangaroo sightings, you know, where they've seen mm-hmm. them in the woods and there's photos of them and stuff. And it's always like, Oh, this is weird. Uh, but once you get rid of that, like those miss sightings, you're still left with weird ones where you're like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what that is. <laughs> like, I don't know what it could be. Um, Cause I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not a research. I'm, I'm more of an armchair researcher. Like all my research yeah. is done via like old newspapers and books and I'm not in the field, so I don't know what these people are seeing. Well, yes, I mean, but then you have that added added bonus of the interpretive bonus of being able to translate what people are saying into visible visual uh, aids, if you will, visual descriptions, which is, I think, is a really big talent. And of course, everybody has a, a built-in bias as to what they're interpreting, but it's, I would imagine that's filtered out a bit more, especially if you've you being a jobbing artist for a long time and had to do what the client wants of you. You know, you'd be used oh, to yeah. just getting that out. And uh, we all, I mean, all you guys, you know, you know what those clients can be like. They can be demanding, can't they? So oh, yes. um, I'm just saying you're disciplined. So yeah. when it comes to that, I think absolutely, definitely, that could be, you know, that could be very possible. Now, you may not know if you're in the UK, we actually have a population of wallabies that live in the country. Yeah. There's some in Staffordshire, there's some in Scotland, they're sort of dotted around the place, but they are, they are, I would say endemic. They're endemic in those areas. They, they exist, you know, we're on like, it would be like seventh, eighth generation, perhaps even in some sure. cases. We also have a population of big cats that's not admitted to, but it's become kind of so obvious that we've got them. And again, this goes back to the Dangerous Wild Animals Act of 1976, which you just mentioned. and you had a similar act there in which people just said, okay, I've got to have this massive enclosure for this big cat with room to run around and air conditioning and a water source. I can't afford that. The zoos aren't going to take them. I'm just going to have to let it go. And we mostly see, not always, but mostly see pumas, mountain lions, or uh, melanistic leopards, black leopards. And I was saying to the other interviewee earlier that I wanted to write a paper at one point to say that it's very possible if this is proven as a fact that we have all of these big cats, all the sightings are taken into consideration, hundreds, thousands even, that we might have one of the highest population of melanistic leopards in the world because they were popular pets and they were bred as pets because they were black and they were beautiful. But in nature, they're rare. So in the same way that America has a massive population of the world's tigers in captivity, because they, they're bred there, we might have, and it's speculation only from the sightings, this massive population of melanistic leopards, wow, um, okay. panthers. So it's it's funny, it's strange, but those are the ones. And um, in fact, my sister-in-law saw one just the in, in Wales, that's where we're from, just the other day, she's got no skin in the game, like none, very down-to-earth girl, not interested in all this crazy hocus pocus, you know, all the monsters yeah. and big cats and all that stuff. Her and her daughters are driving. The daughters say they can see a bear at the side of the road in the field. It's a bit countryside-ish. They pull over and she said to me, I saw this big black cat that looked like a lion. So that's her sort of mental library kicking in now. Yep. You know, I don't know what, that it's not a lion, but it's big like a lion as far as I can see. And it's moving what I would imagine a lion to look like, but it's all black. We watched it yeah. for two minutes and then we left, you know, it was still there. And I thought, wow. You know, and this happens week in, week out, week in. And I'm sure 
with other creatures, it's the same thing. Nobody in the United States would have any idea that kangaroos are bouncing about the place. Right, right. Uh, in the same way as we would be surprised to see a, a wallaby rock up suddenly. It's not common knowledge. Right. And, and yet, there they are. You know, so yeah, I mean, I hope it's not kangaroos. I hope it is something terrifying, like the dogman. <laughs> you know? well, I'm well, and the thing is, like I said, I I believe that. I mean, I, I believe that that only would explain some of them, not all of them. Mm. You know, so you know, then once you get past that, it's like, well, what are you left with? It's like I don't know. I don't know what that is. And it and it, and it is like I do want it so badly to be the yeah. dog man like i want it so badly to be the monster you know yeah it's cool and it's it's, yeah. it's 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 far more interesting it is wonderful i think that's part of this genre it's wonderful to think things that are not discovered still exist yeah. in our world and we know that from set genus of species you know you discover a new type of snake or a new type of frog or a new whale now again which is big that was discovered in Baja, california just last year i think or the year before a new type of whale a large whale yeah. um and yet, you say, but to discover something like a Nessie or a Bigfoot or, you know, yeah. a, like we have the Owlman here, you know, a five, seven, eight feet tall owl, red eyes. Oh, yeah. That would be something altogether different. So you you guys, you did the conferences. Did you do all the conferences or? Um, well, you know, we're pretty limited and and you know what we do it's it's basically where, where i can drive to in a day <laughs> so that's okay. pretty much what we're limited doing um but we did uh you know because of covid we were kind of stuck for a yeah. long time not being able to do much of anything um but this this year we were like let's get out there and and, and you know mm -hmm. finally get back at it so we started small and we did um we just went uh so i'm in minnesota and we went down to iowa and we went to the van meter visitor festival oh cool um, which I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Van Meter visit. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Um, so we, so it's a whole festival based around that and uh, got to hang out with some amazing people. I got to, uh, got to meet, uh, well, I, uh, I was hanging out with uh, authors, Chad Lewis and Kevin Lee Nelson, who have done, wow. uh, they did the Wendigo book. They mm. did uh, a book on, on the Van Meter visitor uh, and uh, Pepe, who's kind of Minnesota, Wisconsin's, uh, it's sort of like our Loch Ness monster, mm -hmm. um, but also got to hang around uh, uh, Tanya and uh, uh, Lara Cram from uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, podcast, the Spooks, Creeps, and a Sword Delry podcast. It's, okay. it's just great. I mean, it's just such a great community of people, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, and it's just it's just fascinating. And then, uh, but we also did um, uh, the Wendigo the Wendigo Festival. Oh. which is it was actually more of a halloween themed uh horror uh movie festival so we did that as something different and we kind of snuck in as oh yeah and cryptids too <laughs> you know but uh so we did that for a while we got to you know uh, meet a lot of there's just a lot of artists making things uh with you know like bones and 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 uh like hair and it's just it's kind of it's creepy oh. you know like, it's like like proper fx stuff Oh yeah, I mean, Props and, and everything. Oh yeah, and then and so you have people that are there that are making crafts, but you also have people there who uh, are doing uh, like movie, like movie level special effects and stuff. Mm. And they also had um, uh, Kane Hodder, who's the the actor who played uh, Jason 
Voorhees in the Friday the 13th movie. Okay. So, so he was there. <laughs> so I was like, we got to see him. That was cool. Wow. Um, they had a guy dressed as a Wendigo walking around. And uh, so that was, that was, that was wow. great. And, Did he costume up? The, oh the, yeah. He was all costumed up. They kept him in a cage. They kept him in a cage outside. And then <laughs> he would, yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes they'd let him out and he'd walk around. Oh, what a gig. Yeah. Was it sunny or was it hot or? or it, you know, for for being the time of year it was, it was perfect. It was great. The sun okay, was good. Out. Yeah, okay. sun was out. I mean, it, it wasn't was... like baking in a cage all day. No, 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 no. No, nothing like that. I wonder no. how much you got paid for the gig. Like, okay, we need you to, you know, get back into the costume. He's like, listen, I've made like 15 of these movies. Yeah. I'm tired. I'm really tired. <laughs> like, come on, just this one time. Okay, I'm coming. The money sounds good. So where am I going to be? Well, see this cage outside. <laughs> They even they even had him. So the guy so the guy that was dressed as the Wendigo was mm. on he was on uh, stilts, uh, like oh, wow. but but they're more of those like um, the acrobatic stilts. Yeah. So he's I mean he's all done up and he's like he can't see anything outside oh, no. of his mask. Um, but they kept yeah they kept him in there and they had bands going all day. It was crazy. I mean it was, like a great it was, time. It was just a huge party. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and then the last one we did was just a very small local one that was actually, I mean, maybe 20 minutes from my house. And it was so close. We're like, wow, we got it. Yeah, we got to do that one. And and that had uh, that had uh, all kinds of stuff. You had paranormal investigators. Uh, you had people that investigate uh, ghosts. And and you had people that, uh, the it, they actually had a, a all-female uh, uh, Bigfoot hunting group <laughs> that was there that as uh, that is the Squatch Hers. So there's there's two oh, there's two of them here in Minnesota. Yes. The Squatch Hers and the She yeah. Squatchers. The She Squatchers, um, I know. Yeah. So really they're, well. they're based, yeah, 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 yeah. So they're they're actually based out of Fargo and the Squatch uh-huh. Hers are based out of Minneapolis. They used to be one group and they split into two. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay, but so, it's still two great names. Squatch oh, Hers yeah. and the She Squatchers. It's you know what? I just think the the genre has and creepy acres by the way that's a dynamite name that's an amazing oh, thank name you so much. oh thank you, you know? <laughs> thanks yeah i mean this i can i can even sort of envisage the, the plot you know oh, <laughs> the creepy acres welcome your stay you know enjoy your stay at the creepy acres yeah. um so that, that's really amazing you mentioned the wendigo earlier by the way and yep. i was actually wondering about that because i did a little bit about the skinwalker which i know is different but it has some similarities uh to the in some ways and i tried to frame it as a possible real undiscovered animal and there are aspects physically of it or descriptions vary again in this but is that the same with the wendigo i haven't really studied it. does it have possibly you know are there overwhelming animal-like qualities like the skinwalker can have as well or is it you know we're just talking about a ghostly a supernatural creature well so if you go to the original stories about the wendigo uh what you're dealing with is essentially essentially it's like a like the native american version of a zombie i mean but but like a a ravenous zombie the ones that chase you down not not the dragging their feet but but it's also kind of more ghostly and so then what ends up happening is somewhere along the way artists start adding more and more sort of natural 
okay. uh, like elements to it, and eventually it gets the antlers. Uh -huh. See that. So that's actually an art that was actually added by artists. That wasn't from the original folklore, but now mm -hmm. that's that's part of it. And and then and then it went from antlers, and now it's a full deer skull. You know, <laughs> that's like so this is almost like a and the hunter sort of interpretation, like a European add-on yeah. way. You know, like a colonial transplant. Well, and and that's very possible because I would I would almost hazard to guess that whoever did add the the full uh, stag skull to mm. to this you know to the to the Wendigo probably was European or you know or was it was a white dude? <laughs> yeah, know, so. well, exactly. No, yeah. but it's so uh, I only mention that really because um in some of the studies I've done there was a theory I had that many of the uh, Central and South American uh, native legends were affected as well as the North American ones about the by the initial European colonization mm -hmm. and in later years when they were forgotten they were sort of reinterpreted and fed back to the Europeans as yeah. native folklore so you have things like the Duende for example it's also very popular in Portugal and Spain as well as you know, um, the America South America and, and Central America and Brazil even and you're thinking, well, actually, this is very similar to Puck, you know, the English Puck, the mischievous fairy, or which is like Puka in uh, Irish and, and Welsh. And then I think of the Puck Wachi or the Bukwas or the Pokes. And I think, did we send that name there? And but maybe they have the creature, maybe it had something similar, but was it, was the name sort of, um, sort of mashed into the language and reinterpreted to explain to us they asked of then what it was they were talking about. Sure. Say, oh, the little thing. That's a that's a book. That's a book. That's a puck. Whatever it is, a puckwaji. And so we would get it. The us of that time. I was wondering if you know, is this like a Peter effect? You know, it, it it's very possible. You know, it's, you know, I always kind of wonder, very much on the same, uh, great, uh, very much on the same train of thought. I always wondered why is Yeti, Yaren, Yowie the yahoo like those they're all this kind mm. of they're all like hairy they're all like uh hairy wildman sort of things yeah but found in completely on different continents but they're all like yeah. they you know like but they're the, all yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and so then again is that is that what's happening i don't know i mean like but i think that's a i think that's a wonderful possibility mm. of you know it's it, it it's us feeding them something who then feed it back and then and but now we take it back as their original legend you know yeah we say oh yeah this was uh, the native american legends speak of and then if yeah. you go back into it it's like possibly the thing that we sort of interpreted through our language then or something we brought over as a superstition not always but in part they get melded together and I, i'm sure that the you know the forebears of uh, those communities has, have also forgotten where it came from. It just it just is suddenly, right. you know. And it's a uh, it's a strange thing you see that in the UK all the time because there's so many influences here. Okay. You know, there's the original Celtic influence of the island, which is a part of the island I come from. But my family okay. background is Irish. I grew up in Wales. And they have that early British influence still very much in all of their words and their thinking. And then there's the the English influences is, you know, the Danes and the Angles and the Saxons and the Normans and everything else. And you've got the Scots and the Gaelics and everything mixed in together. 
there's lots of Celtic words which we think are our own words, but they're not the Latin words. They're Roman words. You know, they they come from you know miles away or um, runes, for example. You know, we think this is like a Northern European way of writing, whereas actually it's probably derived directly from some of the uh, Italic tribes that they encountered near Romania and sort of sure. brought back with them as a form of writing that they could use because they had straight lines, <laughs> you know, and so on and so forth. And yet this is big symbol of, you know, old Viking uh, culture uh, that was also just Roman. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> you know. Well, it's and it's fascinating to think about like that sort of where, where things just sort of bled together and you can't really you can't really tell where one thing ended and where the other began and it becomes mm. almost like a like a, it becomes like a a centuries long game of telephone you mm. know where it's just like yeah it just all it just all becomes a huge amalgam of just all the stuff and, you know for example you know when you're talking about the, the pukwudgie you know there is that that is the um, did, you know, were they, you know, what were, were the Native Americans talking about? Well, we have this little furry man that, you know, causes, you know, like gets into mischief or whatever. Then then a European says, oh, that kind of sounds like Puck. You know, mm -hmm. we have something like that. And they're like, oh, well, you must mean Puck. <laughs> you know, like, and then and then they're like, oh, no, it's like, we got our own thing. Ah, you mean Puck. Like, all right, fine. We, you know, you yeah, know, like, sure. It, sure. What you okay. said. Yeah. Yeah, what you said. And then does it become you know, is it that simple? Um, because I know here in the United States, we have, you know, you'll find like um, reoccurring, uh, and I'm sure it's the same over there, but you have reoccurring mm. urban legends. Mm. Like, you know, any place where there's a train trestle bridge where people have died, it's a goat man. It's always a goat man. There's a goat oh, man. Really? Lives on the, yeah, it's like, there's always going to be some case, you know, some case like oh. that, or, or, you know, a lot of places we have these bridges where people will, you know, there'll be a legend of, uh, you know, a woman, you know, be like either it'll, it'll be like a woman was, you know, heartbroken and she, you know, uh, threw her children off the bridge, you know, whatever. Okay. And now, and now her ghost wanders, you know, crying, you know, looking for her children, and hmm. then, and but then that legend appears all over the place, and it'll get like a name like Crybaby uh, Cry Bridge. Okay. And, and there'll be like four okay. of them in different, you know, like all in all different states. So it's like, is that, is that sort of a smaller version of what's happening globally when it comes to cryptids and, and things where people are just sort of, uh, they're just kind of taking, they're just sort of like borrowing stories from I mean, areas. Yeah, I mean, definitely when you, well, when you look at what happened to the world uh, in colonialism, I'm, I'm not, I don't have the opinions on that. You know, the past is the past, and the situation we live in now is is what it is. We all just have to live alongside each other. But um, when you look at the way things moved across, when you can, when you look at something like Puck, and see similarities to it in North America, where the the you know, the English colonialists were, and some of the, the French, and you look at something like the Duende, and see that represented there again in Spain and Portugal, and then the Latin speaking countries. It's a clear divide, you know. It's a clear right. transplant there. You can see, then they haven't crossed over. So that's fine. One thing that did about the superstitions and bridges and everything else that you're talking about, it did occur to me, is that uh, you ever hear the fact uh, that, um, about Greeks smashing plates or parties, right? Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, they don't. The... They don't do yeah. that in Greece. Okay. The only Greeks who do it are the Greeks who live in other countries. 
So it's the Greeks who left and kept the tradition. But since that time in Greece, the tradition no longer exists. It only exists in the colony that moved away. Oh, fascinating. Okay. And I think that in the Americas, in some of the other New World countries, or perhaps in Australia to some degree, some of those uh, superstitions that were taken, that were fresh at that time, that have since dissipated in the home country, remain. Because that's the, the point of which the, the separation occurred. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that makes a lot of sense. Well, even even um, while we're coming up now, uh, Christmas is coming, uh, but we have uh, uh, Krampus. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, so like that, you know, that remained, I'm assuming, uh, a, a larger thing in European countries. Mm. It, it came over here a little bit. Um, I know my mom would talk about when she was a little girl, her grandmother had this scary old mask that she'd pull out mm. around Christmas, like before Christmas and like would put it on laugh and like scare the kids and whatever. And she never really knew what it was. And, you know, grandma eventually passed mm. on and no one, you know, and the mask just kind of went away and she was like, I don't know what that is. And it wasn't <laughs> until like years later that when I just started describing Krampus to her that she sort of, it clicked. And she was like, oh, that's what that was. Mm. But it's it's interesting because now it's sort of becoming a thing again here yeah. in the United States. Yeah. It's like resurging, uh, mostly at breweries, but whatever. <laughs> but yeah. but it, it, <laughs> anyway, well, you, all of those <laughs> you know, Northern European cultures, they have a big drinking tradition over that time. So that makes for it to appear more around breweries. It's actually perfect. <laughs> the perfect location for it. We don't have it in England, actually. We don't do it. No, um, but I know in Germany it's very popular in some other sure. sort of northern places. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes it. Yeah, and it actually makes sense because my uh, uh, my my family would have they would have had German heritage on that side. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay. You know, I, it's just I love it. It's interesting, and now that the world. Not, talked in geopolitics again but now the world seems to be going through another shift of perspective it's mm-hmm. kind of weird something this multipolar thing that's emerging it seems to be showing people uh, or peoples more of what they have in common and i think even here in the uk now people look they probably did to america a lot in the past but people look at america and new zealand and australia as sort of kindred in a way like oh they say oh we're kind of the same peoples Okay, we get that, oh, this Anglo okay. sort of thing. We're sort of the same culture in a way. Um, and then that happens in in, uh, in the Latin-speaking countries in Europe as well with the Americas and so on and so forth all around the place. And it's interesting to me to to look at these legends and then ratify that. So they, that's because we sort of had similar origin points. And it's weird, it's not weird, but it's interesting to see where we are along that journey, you know, where some have stopped off and some have continued and and so on and so forth, and how it affects us, because the United States culture, it's the dominant culture in our Western world. So we now look to you guys, I think, for cultural input. And sometimes we'll get back culture that left us in the first place. It's strange That's in true. the new format. And I, I just love that. And I think it's, it's this wonderful circle of uh, reinterpretation, you know, that sort of runs through the, the life of all these these cultures and nations um just quickly before we go i just wanted to to, to go over where you guys you know where, where people can see you next where you're going to be how they can 
find you online? And you know, if, is there th are there things to buy? Is there merch to buy? Are there things they can get hold of? Okay. Oh, sure. So uh, you can find us at creepacres.com. We're also, uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. It's always Creepy Acres uh, uh, under any of those. Uh, we're also, if you go to tpublic.com, that's our merch stores on there. Um, that's where you'll find t-shirts. Uh, you can buy, you can buy a towel if you, I think we got towels. But I don't know. Towels are know, great. <laughs> yeah, Everybody needs got, towels. Yeah, we got, we got pillows. We got, I don't know. It's pretty much anything. That's a, um, that's a perfect Christmas present. Yeah. Towels and pillows. Exactly. Yeah. And anybody listening, it's exactly what you need. Yeah. You know that yeah. you need a creepy towel for Christmas. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And so, and most of it, uh, most of it just features um, some of our characters and whatever, but uh, then some of it, uh, does feature some of the art from the uh, this day and creepy history posts. We've been slowly moving, transitioning that stuff out there. Um, but I'm only one guy, so it takes time. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, Sean, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you, and especially after following your work very closely um, for all these years and realizing we were secret friends <laughs> and um, I never knew. Uh, yeah. You know, thank you so much. Um, well, well, I have to thank you and let you know that I actually was a big fan of yours. Uh, uh, Beast of uh, Britain was, uh, that was fantastic. I love that. I, I actually oh, found you. that on, I found that on uh, audible.com and then went back uh, and bought the book. <laughs> so, oh, wow. So, good. Yeah. yeah. So I actually had heard it, listened to the whole thing, loved it so much, went and bought the book. Oh, so, that, well, that, that's a great testimony. I love that narrator, actually. Um, uh, he narrated both of my books. I gave him a great uh, review. I think I said, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they're uh, absolutely fantastic. But yeah, um, but yeah, I, I look, uh, you know, I, I, I look forward to whatever else uh, you, you know, do because <laughs> I'm a fan. Well, so this is great. well, I did. The feeling is mutual, and that's a that's a nice thing to realize because I've been seeing the critique stuff. I see the clips, and I love, especially love the on this day in oh, you know this thanks. year this cryptid appeared because i'm always like ah and sometimes when i've been researching stuff i've not been able to find a date or something's been missing yeah. i've been like oh hang on a second let's see what sean has <laughs> oh it's 1965 cool yeah. <laughs> and as far as i know we've ever we've only gotten one wrong and that was uh dr carl schuker put us straight so we we had the wrong oh, date Paul's really for, nice for like that yeah, for Trunco. And he, yeah, he was very nice. And yeah. I was like, I, I can't take it down. It's too late, but I'll fix it for next time. So it's one of his areas of expertise, Trunco, I think. I think he was one oh, yeah. of the main sort of people coming. Now, I've, for anybody else, I've, realized, I've got loads of Carl's books, and I don't think I would know anything. My, my biggest challenge I find when I'm trying to write now is trying to write about something that Carl hasn't covered. Oh, yeah. And it's so difficult. So occasionally I check the blog and I'm like, oh, okay, he's got that. He's got that one as well. He got oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just write source Carl Shuka. You're gonna have to, you know, he's done everything. But he's such a super super chap as well. Pleasant Wonderful. and nice and just um like an example to us all. Oh, he is, awesome. yeah. Okay. Well, listen. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody. Get out there, get the Creepy Acres merch just before Christmas, and the, the, it's uh, it's going to keep you dry and uh, comfy, and uh, and you're just going to love it. Sean, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. This is wonderful. Thank you. Take care. Bye. -bye.
Am I right? 